About a year ago, I think, Reverend Ken came up here one Sunday to preach, and he wasn't feeling well, and he said he was going to be preaching in his Kathleen Turner voice. I don't, I don't think I quite have a Kathleen Turner voice. It's more like a Muppet voice when I'm sick. Hi, guys. How are you? So I won't be giving out many hugs after the service today. Just fair warning. The fantasy world of the movie The Lobster doesn't take too long to explain. In this world, every single adult has to be part of a couple by law. So far, so good. Maybe, right? Depending on your point of view. When a relationship ends in this world, whether that's by the death of one partner or a divorce, the police show up and they bring the remaining partner to a hotel. That partner, now unpartnered, has 45 days in the hotel to find a new mate. And if they don't find a new mate within those 45 days, they get turned into an animal of their choice and set free. Things got weird pretty fast, right? (laughs) Now, when I first read the premise of this movie before seeing it, just that short little premise that it's built on, I was pretty intrigued. I have to say that as a single person, as someone who is out there in the dating world, anybody else been on dates recently, going on dates? This doesn't sound that bad, right? Everybody's in one place. You've got 45 days. You've got a time limit. You don't have to go to work, right? You're, you're kind of sectioned off. It's sort of like The Bachelor, but with, um, you know, less potential for national embarrassment and uh, fairer odds for everyone, right? That's, that's not a bad thing. Um, but it's also an obvious allegory for our world, right? This dystopian fantasy land is... Um, kind of an extreme of what can happen when our obsession with pairing off goes wrong. And there are real consequences in this world. It's a funny little device to say that you become an animal if you don't find a mate. It allows the people who run the hotel to make it seem like, you know, things are fine, you're still alive. You have a chance to find a new mate as a horse or a frog or a fish out in the sea. We find out that There are downsides, though, to every animal. As one of the more cynical uh, guests at the hotel points out, pretty much every animal you run the chance of being eaten or hunted or exterminated. Maybe best case scenario, you end up in a zoo. We learn in the movie that most people choose dogs because they want to stay close to the people who mattered to them during their life. Our main character in this movie is David played by Colin Farrell. He shows up at the hotel after his wife leaves him for another man. He shows up with a dog, his brother, who didn't make it. (laughs) Yep. And now from the beginning of this film, I, you know, have seen movies before, as you all have. I expected this to kind of go one of two ways. I thought maybe he would get into a variety of different romantic entanglements and keep us waiting, but then end up with someone at the last minute, right? And go off happily together as a pair. Or I thought maybe it wouldn't work out for him, that he would get turned into his animal of choice, which is, yes, a lobster, 
and that we would be left with this kind of affirming model of resistance to the dominant script, right, that says we all have to pair off. That we would end with a whimsical parting shot of a lobster crawling off into the sea, wondering would he find love in his new crustacean form, or would he live out his days happily independent, floating in the waves. Turns out the plot is more complicated than that, which makes sense because love is more complicated than that. I read a uh, pretty amazing meditation on love and romance recently. I know some of you saw it. It was shared on Facebook, actually, by one of our Wellspringers, and I couldn't resist sharing it either. Uh, It's called An Open Letter to the Female Hat-Wearing Dog from Go Dog Go. A couple of you saw it already. There's a book, a children's book, an early reader called Go, Dog, Go by P.D. Eastman. And there's a woman named Raquel Diapice who writes for a blog called The Ugly Volvo. It's a mom parenting blog. And the first sentence of her blog post explains, I bought your book to help my son learn prepositions and adjectives and was, from the first read, inexorably drawn in by your heart-wrenching struggle for approval female hat-wearing dog. You see, the female hat-wearing dog in this book spends the entire page-turner of it all passing by this male mustard-colored dog with increasingly elaborate hats that she is wearing. And every time she passes him by, she asks, do you like my hat? And he says, no, I don't like your hat. And she comes back with a different hat. He doesn't like that one either. At one point, they're skiing. She has this comically long ski hat, which Raquel says, you know, how can you not appreciate such lengths that I've gone to to impress you, and yet still you do not appreciate my ski hat? What follows in this blog post is a hilarious and all-too-real plea to the female hat-wearing dog to recognize her worth. The dog finally approaches that male mustard-colored dog with this hat right here. Uh, No less than two spiders dangling from it, a bouquet of lollipops, uh, a pennant. (laughs) And Raquel says, you know, this this hat finally impresses the mustard-colored dog, but it seems like an idyllic future when they finally ride off into the sunset together, except that there is literally no way you can wear this hat every day without sustaining major neck damage. You guys might settle down and date for a few months, maybe move in together, but eventually you'll get to the point where you're like, I sort of don't want to wear this hat every day just to keep the relationship going. Preach, female hat-wearing dog, preach. (laughs) Now David runs into the same kind of situation at the hotel. He watches the people around him build partnerships, often based on lies. He sees a friend of his manufacture nosebleeds painfully, like ramming his face into concrete and walls and tables so that he can have something in common with one of the young women there who also gets chronic nosebleeds. He himself enters a relationship with a woman who's very cold-hearted and pretends to be just as cold-hearted, sacrificing parts of himself to try to make something work, all with disastrous results. And it seems like he might be headed towards that lobster in the sunset moment, 
But just then he finds a way to escape. He leaves the hotel and ends up in this forest nether world inhabited by a colony of people who call themselves the loners. And it seems like a good deal. At first, they have community. They look out for each other. But it turns out the loners have their own dystopian extremes. For one, people who might find love and affection within that community of loners are punished by their friends, sometimes violently. The loners resist the idea that we need any kind of romantic intimacy or connection. That's how they maintain the peace in their community, which becomes complicated as David and one of the other loners discover they are falling in love. Now, some of us in this room may not have gone on a date in 5, 10, 20 years, maybe 40 years. Anybody here not gone on a date in 40 years or more? Yeah. God bless you. (laughs) And there's a part of me that wants to say, teach me your ways. (laughs) But, of course, the truth is, whether partnered or not, we are all always looking for love in some way. Whether we are whether we are single or together, whether we are parents or childless, we all look for love in a million different ways every day. We crave connection with the people around us. Some of us spend a lot of time thinking about how to dress in a way that will make people think we are attractive or put together. Some of us buy the things that suit our style because we know that that's going to be a signal to the people who we'll have things in common with, that they're like us, that we are one of them. We perform all kinds of roles in our lives. The dutiful son, the above and beyond employee, the always there when you need me friend. Performing a role doesn't necessarily mean that we're faking, but those roles are often learned deep somewhere in our past. Somewhere in our past, we learn that fulfilling that role is a way to find that love and that affection that we crave. And there is nothing wrong with craving that love. The comedian Eddie Izzard, who some of you might know, He has a really great bit about how this craving for love is actually always with us, even as children, even before we really understand what it means or what's going on. He talks about remembering being a kid and even as a child having this idea that he was supposed to do something to kind of get girls to fancy him, right, as a little boy, Um, but having no idea how to do that. And he says, I used to try to start conversations with girls, right? Do you like bread? I've got a French loaf. And then hitting her over the head and running away. I love you. (laughs) Our need for love is innocent. It's innate. It's real. And it's part of why this movie gets so complicated, because the freedom of the loners is built on an assumption and total invulnerability to each other. Sadly, I find that these are the same kinds of assumptions that undergirds some of the more shallow self-help resources that you can find out there about finding love. 
love yourself before you love someone else. Well, yes, right, in, in the female hat-wearing dog sense, right? Don't deny yourself. Don't hurt ourselves to appease someone else. That's the way to a relationship's death. But loving ourselves and loving each other is a dialogue. It can't really happen, I think, in succession. We come into this world already beloved by so many. It's not step one, step two. It's an interchange. And that's why it is so frustratingly unpredictable to love and be loved, to find that love, to look for that love, and so deeply full of wonder in a way that 45 days in a hotel or an episode of The Bachelor could never really be. I know how many times the grace of someone else's love, even in really small ways, has awakened me from my own self-doubt or self-neglect. Even if I resisted it in the moment, there are so many tiny little ways that when I'm having a bad day, when I am not experiencing that loving myself that um, you know, all of the memes on the internet want us to practice all of the time. Sometimes it's just an unexpected text message from a friend. Sometimes it's running into someone I know on the street, having them be happy to see me. It might be an unexpected thank you for something that we thought nobody noticed. It might be a checkout clerk at the store who's just in a really great mood when we're in a really crap mood, cracks a great joke, makes us laugh. Any of those little things that make us remember that the world is bigger and full of more possibilities than what might be in our heads and our hearts in the moment. This past week, I was at General Assembly. Uh, It's the UUA, our denomination, the Unitarian Universalist Association annual conference in Columbus, Ohio. They gave me this cold. I blame them. (laughs) But I was at GA this week. And I was walking around, seeing a lot of my colleagues, other ministers across the country, people I went to divinity school with. And I have this great, big, beautiful new tattoo on my arm that was getting a lot of attention from my colleagues, which of course wasn't part of my plan at all for going (laughs) to GA. It's got some color in it now too, but I don't have a new picture. One colleague of mine Most people focus on the church on fire for some reason, right? But one colleague of mine asked about the sunflowers at the bottom of my arm. And I told her the quick version. I said, for me, they're a symbol of my ordination and my call to ministry. She said, why sunflowers? And I found that I actually teared up as I told her the story. I might tear up now. When we were planning for my ordination here back in November at Wellsprings, there was a team of people who were putting together all the details of the day. And I am a pretty no-fuss person. The people on that team were asking me, what kind of food do you want? And I said, cheap food, right? (laughs) What are your favorite snacks, your favorite desserts? And I said, it doesn't matter. Whatever is easiest for you all to pick up, you're already doing me such a favor by organizing all of this. And then finally someone said, what's your favorite flower? 
And I think just because I was tired of pushing them off, (laughs) I answered honestly. And I said, sunflowers. When I showed up on the day of my ordination, there were sunflowers decorating the space. And Becky and our youth spirit kids had spent weeks making centerpieces for the reception over there in the cafeteria with little burlap sunflowers sticking out of them. So that's why there are sunflowers on my tattoo. It is a symbol of my ordination. But it's also a symbol of how grace is always flowing in our lives, even in these small, seemingly insignificant ways. Ken talked a couple weeks ago about how when we're vulnerable, we kind of hate it sometimes, in part because we don't want to let the other person know that they can affect us so much. We sometimes don't want other people to know how much power they do have over our hearts. But to open to this grace requires letting down the armor. And the risk there is so real, but so are the payoffs. I think what this movie highlights for me, and it's a weird movie, by the way, if you saw it. I'm not sure I actually recommend it. But it's fascinating. And what it highlights for me, what I took away from it in the end, I won't spoil the ending for you, we actually don't have a choice in the matter. We can think we're choosing the hotel's world or the loner's world. But either way, we were made for love, for real love. And it finds us whether we like it or not. Maybe not in the way we were looking for or expected it to, but it will find its way in. I believe that, that if we're willing to start working with it, when it doesn't look exactly how we want, not when it hurts us or when we have to live a lie to keep it going, but maybe just when it doesn't meet our perfect vision that's in our head, if we're willing to work with it, then we get to experience the joy of cooperating with how it flows in our life and discovering where that will take us. I have a lot of favorite poems. Somehow, once I turned like 28, I became a big poetry nerd. I don't know how that happened. One of my favorite poems is by the 13th century Persian Muslim poet Hafez, whose poems have become very popular because of translations and interpretations by a man named Daniel Ladinsky. Daniel Ladinsky uh, translates these poems into the way we would speak them now. And so sometimes he uses contemporary phrases that make people go, did a 13th century Islamic poet really say that? So... Be aware of that when you hear this poem. This is one of my favorites by him. Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, love me. Of course, you do not do this out loud. Otherwise, someone would call the cops. Still, though, think about this. This great pull in us to connect Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying with that sweet moon language what every other eye in this world is dying to hear? I hope we can all find the courage to cooperate, to help love find what it is looking for. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together.
God of our hearts, spirit of presence that never leaves us, presence that is with us in those joyful moments of bliss, in those tearful moments of loneliness, and in all the times in between when we may just be going about our day unaware of everything that surrounds us unaware of all the beating hearts that cry out for connection, unaware sometimes of our own hearts' longings. Offer us the courage to cry out. Offer us the courage to speak what we need and what we crave and what we want and what we love. When we follow our hearts, it may not always turn out how we want but we will rarely regret it. Help us to remember that we were each born in love and are worthy of that love. For these prayers I've spoken out loud and for the prayers that each of these people carry silently on their hearts this morning, we say amen.